page 833. I knew at some point it would go from 2 to 3. I just didn't check. We're almost, almost there. All right. <clears throat> we are in the letter to the church in Galatia. I hope that so far as we've been walking through this, um, and we're going through it fairly rapidly, and Galatians will be there about 11 weeks total. And so I hope that as we've just started to walk through this, you found things that are already helpful so that you have something that will help you to preach the gospel to yourself as you go through your own struggles and difficulties, as you go through your own um, struggles with the gospel itself, that you will say, this is a great place to go to remind me to not have idols, to not have other things in my life, to not put something else before Christ, to not take what we have already heard and start to change it. And I have story after story after story of um, people that I have known over the last, not just eight and a half years, but um, over my 20 years of being a Christian and um, the, the, the many things that I have seen in the lives of people who had the gospel and then started to walk away. And I have just these stories, and I just in my own head right now, just having um, pictures of people and, and, and images of people that I thought loved the gospel. And then you see over time, they allow other things to be put into play. They allow other influences to come from the outside. Um, some of those I have told you about, some I have not. Um, this is serious stuff. This isn't Bible study where it's like, okay, this is another thing. that we, This is serious stuff. We're talking about a church that's on the verge of not being the church. Where Paul is writing... In, in, in great danger is the way that he is, is talking to them. They, they should realize there's something really bad. Paul's saying we're deserting something. And we're not deserting one of those extra cool things that we do. We're not deserting potlucks. You get what he's saying? That's not the problem. The problem is not that they're running away from... You know, oh, we, we stopped using hymnals and we started using the screen. That's not this. This is not preference. This is not, oh, well, I, I have those things that I like, and so I'm going to church that has those certain things that I like. Take away all those things. And that's sort of the theme of what we're going to be in today in Galatians 2. Is, is that we take all of those preferences and we lay them aside. And some of them are going to seem extremely important to you. And what Paul is saying is knock it off. We, we need to stop making things that are not, the, remember the closed hand, open hand, right? The things, those essential things. The Galatians are messing with this stuff, the stuff that we hold tightly to and we say, I'm sorry, but you can't, we're not going to debate whether Jesus is God. I mean, we can discuss it. We can, we can ask good questions about it. We can see, you know, is this, the, the scriptures really hold up? We could ask great questions. Ask those questions. If you struggle with your belief and, you know, just as an example, is Jesus really God? Ask those questions. It's okay to struggle with them. It's okay to not know the answers. It's okay to search out the scriptures because you're concerned about something or somebody's taught you something and you want to make sure. That's what the Bereans did, right? Where Paul said, they're the ones who are doing it right. Because Paul would teach and they would immediately go to the scriptures, and, which would be the Old Testament at the time when Paul was teaching in Acts. And they would go, okay, Paul's talking about this guy as, as suffering. Well, let's go to the Old Testament. Oh, look, in Isaiah, it says that the servant, the suffering servant would come. One would come who would bear our burdens. It says it right there. And so the Bereans were going back to the scriptures and saying, yeah, what Paul was saying was correct. And so when we have stuff, it's okay to question even those closed-handed things. It's okay to look at those and to make sure we actually believe it. One of the things that the world thinks about the church is what? What do we do when we come to church? We check our brains at the door. We come here and we talk about our, hey, guess what? This, today's sermon is on the Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, on who should pray at inaugurations and, uh, you know, what the Congress should try to accomplish and who's really responsible for putting together a budget. Uh, you know, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to get into our preferences except 
that we need to come and rip them apart and make sure that when we have preferences, even when they're good ones, and there's a lot of preferences that we have that can be very good and helpful and, and whatever, but they are preferences. You know, I decided to wear my blue shirt today. Is it blue? Yeah, it's blue. <laughs> I said blue, and then I thought, I think it was blue, right? <laughs> Probably good to check. Um, so, I, you know, it, it's the preferences that come in the church are the things that can kill the church because we make preferences into ultimate things. And what we need to make sure we do, for those of you who have been here since I have been here, um, some of you can remember back in the day I, I, I first come in and uh, the congregation looked very different than it looks today. Um, and, I, and I just came in and I just started, just started preaching, right? And just started doing things and, and preaching the gospel. And one of the first things I did is everywhere I saw preferences, I start to point out that they were preferences, they're not necessities. That didn't go over great. It, it, it didn't go over great at all. I, people accused me of horrible things because I was pointing out, that's just a preference. We need to focus on the gospel. But that wasn't good enough for some. And that's sometimes not good enough for us. And I can't just go, oh, you know, I, I was so great by coming in and pointing that out. I mean, there's ways to do that well, ways to do it not well. And I'm sure that I, I you know, did uh, things, plenty of mistakes. Um, Mike Thompson and I look at each other all the time and say, hey, you know what? Um, I, you know, I, Mike's usually the one who says it because he's usually wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, if you've ever had a conversation with Mike, one of the things he'll be like is somebody will say, oh, I'm having this problem. Mike's like, well, I've never had that problem. And what he's saying is, I have that problem all the time. You know, I'm... It's, and and uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to be able to admit, listen, we, none of us do it perfect, far from it. But as we keep preaching the gospel to ourselves, what it does is it punches preferences in the face and says, it's just a preference. What do we really want? What should the church really be? I mean, this is, this is where we live. You know, there's some places where... Um, and, and well, I should say there's, in, in America especially, <clears throat> because of the freedom we have, we have, you know, the more freedom you have, the less persecution there is, the more the church just splits and splits and splits. And so we have every variation of every little thing and everybody's little preference. And, um, I mean, you can, go, you can go around and you can find cowboy churches. You can find churches that do their worship with rap music. You can find all, I mean, just any number of things. I remember going to a predominantly um, black church in Texas uh, back, Molly, remember maybe when we went to that church? Um, man, I was way underdressed. The dudes can dress, okay, <laughs> in black churches. Woo, it was awesome. I was like, dang, I was wearing like khakis. <laughs> People are looking at me like, what are you doing here? You're in khakis, you know? Um, and, uh, and I just remember like you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I'm the outsider. I, I feel weird, and then the pastor began to talk, and we were going through a call to worship, and he was, he was sitting in the front row. We didn't know where it was coming from, but he was holding a microphone, and he was just leading them in a call. To, it was like a 15-minute call to worship. Call to worship is like for us, it's like we, we read a passage, we pray a little bit, and then all of a sudden we're in worship. It's like, okay, let's gather together for worship. A lot of times what I say is let's quiet our hearts, let's prepare ourselves for worship. Let's try to get those other things, distractions out of the way. He did that for 15 minutes. And it just was like, it doesn't, this, this isn't a predominantly black church. This is a Jesus church. Like it just was, I, we realized we came in and we felt uncomfortable because of preferences, because of cultural likes. I want to be around a bunch of whiteys, right? Who all like listen to the same stuff and who dance with that overbite, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what, I, that's what I want. I want to be around people like that. I want to be around people who talk about, you know, the Big Bang Theory or who, you know, who, who like to watch The Biggest Loser or some other show with the word big in it. And so, you know, we, we have these preferences and, and they're not... I, I should probably just get in the passage and it'll take care of a lot of the stuff I'm saying, but I'm just, I'm just trying to start us off here by thinking about it. When it comes down to it, this needs to be about Jesus and about only Jesus. And whenever the preferences come into play, we need to be open to allow someone to push back and go, don't, don't make that one of those things that you're going to, don't, don't make it a, a fish or cut bait issue, right? 
Like, I'm either in or I'm out because of that. We need to be very careful. If I, if I just gave you a list of the reasons that people have left this church or have come to this church, I often let people come in and they'll say, hey, you know what I really like about this church? And then they'll name a preference. I'm just like, oh, hopefully they'll stay long enough to hear the gospel and go, okay, that's my preference. My preference is the thing that should be all of our preference, which is the gospel over everything else. That's not always the case. So Paul in Galatians is, is really being hard. He's, he's, he's being tough with them. He's explaining that they're deserting God and the gospel that they had. In Galatians 2, Paul, remember we have Paul going to the apostles. He's going to Jerusalem. He has three years before he sees any of the apostles. He's got this gospel from Jesus. You remember the story in Acts? If you don't know the story, go find it in Acts uh, where Paul it talks about the conversion of Paul or he was called Saul at the time. And, uh, you know, so he has this uh, amazing change, and then he goes some time before he sees the apostles, and he finds out, guess what, we all have the same gospel. He didn't need it to be proven. He knew that it was the right gospel because Jesus told it to him, just like the other apostles who told them. I'm asking you a question. Who told the other apostles the gospel? Jesus, right? So what happens when Jesus tells these apostles and Jesus tells Paul, who's an apostle, the gospel, what happens when they come together? We got the same thing. It should be exactly what happens. It doesn't mean these guys aren't infallible in themselves and that they lived perfect lives by any stretch, but they were inspired to write scriptures that are um, infallible and errant and and true and all of that. So um, we get these things, and these are established truths. These come from Jesus. These come from the Spirit. But in their own lives, they they were just people, right? I mean, you can even have... People that would come to Peter, and they'd bow down before him, and he's like, get up, I'm a dude, you know? I'm just a guy. I, I was a guy that was with Jesus. I'm a guy that's filled with the Spirit, but I'm just a guy. You don't worship me. Um, and so we have Paul coming to the apostles, and he comes back to Jerusalem. It says 14 years later, back in chapter 2, verse 1. Um, and so he went with Barnabas and Titus, and they go there. Remember, there were those spies the spies who came in, and they wanted to, to basically find the freedom that they had in Christ, and they wanted to bring them back into slavery. How do you bring free people in Christ back into slavery? You give them something other than the gospel and say that is important and necessary too. Jesus plus blank. That's what was being done. Then we get to verse 11 in chapter 2, and it reads like this. But when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, just pause. Does that give anybody any like, whoa, wait, what, huh? The apostles agreed, right? Three years they hear the gospel, 14 years Paul sees them again. They're all on the same page, they have the same gospel. But then Paul says here, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. How would you like that? Okay, you're, you're Peter, right? Who, who's Peter? What does Jesus say? <laughs> yeah. He's the rock. He's the, okay, on this rock I will build my church. It's like, whoa, wait, what? What happens in the, in the beginning of the church, in the book of Acts? Holy Spirit comes. Who preaches? Peter. The first half of the book of Acts is about which apostle's main work? Peter. Then it turns into Paul. Later on, it's Mary. Um, Joking about the Mary part. Joking. Um, That's a band of people that take acid. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They they did, right? Come on. uh, Yeah, Puff. Yeah, Puff. Yeah, I don't think you, do you puff acid? I'm glad that I don't know that. Um, you could probably puff acid. There's probably a way to, don't, don't tell me if you know, okay? Don't tell me. <sighs> okay, there's a Bible in front of me. I should probably talk about that. Um, when Cephas came to Antioch, hey, Paul now, Paul now, to the Galatians, is telling the story. He's telling the story. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. How would you like to be Peter, the rock, Jesus talked to. The one who said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The one 
who preaches the sermon in Acts 2, and 3,000 are saved. The one who the first half of the book of Acts eventually gets written about. And Paul, who wasn't with Jesus for those three years, like Cephas, like Peter was, Paul, who was killing Christians, get this, get this, Paul, who was killing Christians, and then he gets converted, and then doesn't come and say, Cephas, you're more important than me. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 2 last week? They didn't add anything. I, I came to them. He wasn't saying it snottily, right? He wasn't being a jerk about it. He was just saying, we, we had the same gospel. I didn't need to come to them because there were going to be more. I was with Jesus, which is the same thing the other apostles would say. So Paul, who, you know, came, came late, you guys ever do that, like you start something, and then you got those first ten people who are part of the thing that you're doing, and then that person comes in two years into it, and you're like, they came late to the party. You know, they're, they're, we started this. It's our thing. Why are you coming in and trying to give us all your ideas? We've been here doing this for a long time. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so... Peter could have that mentality if he's, you know, in, in that sinful way. He'd be like, hey, Paul, you know, come on. Like, you know what, Paul, he's pretty good with the gospel, but there's a couple things he could learn about. He, <laughs> he should probably come sit under our feet for a little while. We could do like a seven-week study. And, um, you know, seven-week study, did you like that? Some of us are doing a seven-week study. Um, and so uh, that could be there. But what it says here, Cephas, he's the one who stands condemned, and Paul's the one who is getting in his face. It's amazing what the gospel can do. It's amazing. You should never look at someone else and say, oh, well, you've been a Christian for, for not as long as me. Oh, well, you know, you're, you're so, you should just be quiet for a while. I mean, I've seen that in churches. I've seen, you should just be the one who's quiet for a while because you haven't been a Christian as long or because you haven't been in this church as long or I've been here longer. I, 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 you know what? Some of you have been here a lot longer than I have and that doesn't give you more weight. It shouldn't. Some of you have been here less. That doesn't give you more weight because you can do it both ways, Right? Like, oh, that's the new person. Well, they, they should get, like, more preference, or they should, this is, like, something fresh, and let's, let's take that. It, it should be that none of that stuff matters. What matters? The gospel, Jesus, the, the core of everything. And so, Paul opposes Peter to his face. For before certain men came from James, James is the pastor where? You may know the brother of Jesus, pastor in Jerusalem. For before certain men came from James. So James in Jerusalem, he sends certain men to Antioch. He was eating with the Gentiles. Before men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. I gotta get this now. What are the Gentiles eating? A ham sandwich, right? That's what he's eating. It's what Gentiles eat. What, what the Jews don't eat. Do you get what I'm saying? So he's, yeah, shrimp cocktail, right? That's, that's, that's lobster tail. Um, so before the men came from James, some, some people came from Jerusalem. Before they came, Peter, Cephas, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back. And separated himself. That sounds painful, doesn't it? I'd like to separate yourself. He's separating him from them, right? When he, he drew back, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, meaning, okay, I'm no longer going to go eat with the Gentiles. Fearing, this is why he did it, fearing the circumcision party. So apparently there were people that they, they knew about at the time, and there was kind of a a party, you get the idea of a party, right? The idea that there are, there's kind of a group, there's a, there's a clan, there's a piece, there's a part, there's a, you know, in, we're, we're a Southern Baptist church. 
And so if we look at our denomination, a lot of you don't know a lot about our denomination, but I can tell you by being very involved, other pastors and having gone to national conventions, some of you have been to national, I know Mike's been to some national right conventions, you, you can find out very quickly that there are factions within the one unified body that is our denomination. You can find that there are people who hold this certain theology, that certain theology, these certain preferences, those others. You know, there are people who think that if you go to a certain thing, you have to wear a suit. And there's people there in, you know, just what I'm wearing today, something less than a suit. So you, you, have, you have people all over the place in all kinds of different ways. And um, you have different seminaries and different ones have, you know, there are certain ones that are better at certain things. You can measure them that way. But then there are different seminaries and different places where you can go and be educated for ministry. You'll find out they have different theological underpinnings. If you, if you have a more Anabaptist stripe in you, which if you don't know what that means, just go look it up later. I don't have time to get into all church history and stuff like that. But if you have a, if you have a certain stripe of theology, you go to Southwestern. If you're going to be a, a teacher, you're going to be a missionary, I mean, you start picking the schools, you say, these are things I'm going to be, go do. Certain types of theologies are going to go certain places because those are the places that agree with the kind of theology you have. Inside the convention itself, there's a lot of stuff that we could divide over, some want to divide over, and some go, no, we need to be able to say all of us are still have the gospel. If we have the gospel, those other things we can debate. We can try to figure out open hand issues versus closed hand, right? So there is a party within the church, at least that's the way it's described here, the circumcision party. Remember, you know what this is, right? It's where you have a party and you circumcise everybody. Oh, that does not sound like fun. The circumcision party is this group who believes that you must take Christ plus something. Namely here, at least, circumcision. But we, we could say in an overarching way, the Judaizers, the circumcision party, you're going to have people who say that you have to keep other things, keep the law, keep the Old Testament stuff. So people come from James I'm not sure that Peter has any idea, Cephas has any idea who it actually is, like what they actually believe, but at least he has a fear of that they could be from that party. He has the fear, at least that's what we would say so far. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So notice the levels here, right? You've got, you've got Peter... There's, that's, a, that's a problem. This is Peter. You don't want Cephas. You don't want the, 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 one of the main dudes, the main dude for a while. You don't want him not being able to go, okay, here's what the gospel does. When people come from another church, I don't just go, oh, well, other people are here, so let's do it different. What would you do today if somebody walked in, a, a big-name Christian person, let's say somebody, everybody knew, an author, a speaker, somebody, if they came in, would we start acting differently? It's one of those, it's one of those things that... I'm a, as, as a preacher, um, one of the things that is easy to do is if you have somebody come into your congregation who's a big wig in some other way, and that's happened here a few times since I've been here, um, where the, uh, somebody's come in and I know who it is. <clears throat> and even if you don't know who it is, I know who it is. And I tend to go, I wish I would have spent more time preparing this sermon because that person is standing and you're sitting out there, right? And I'm like, oh no. And you kind of have that, something should have been different, but it shouldn't have been, Right? It should be anybody should be able to sit in this congregation today and I can preach this gospel. It can be the same thing, the same thing that I would say to you. Um, I, and I know of friends, uh, you know, I've, I, uh, I heard a sermon, I can't remember when it was, a couple years ago, and uh, somebody's going to preach the sermon and all of a sudden they realize the President of the United States is sitting in the audience. They didn't know the President was there. I don't know how you wouldn't know. All those people with earpieces and sunglasses should probably give it away, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but, like, it was just, or maybe it was just kind of one of those last-minute things, like, whoa, all of a sudden, wow, where the mayor shows up. I, we were at a church in Denver, a large church, and uh, the mayor at the time, Wellington Webb, uh, just showed up on a Sunday. And the, when the pastor got, I had, had no idea. I was one of the pastors there. Uh, I don't remember if it was ag at the time, but I, I eventually became one of the pastors there. And um, I remember the, the preacher getting up and saying, um, I just want to, you know, Mayor Wellington Webb is here, thankful that he's here worshiping with us this morning, and, and it was like, oh, you know, hope you got a good one, <laughs> hope, you, hope you picked a good sermon this week because the mayor's here, but it shouldn't be that way, it should not be that way, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel, if, if, 
if you can go and say, oh, I can make my sermon better, it's not because you're going to do the gospel better, because you should already be good at that, it's that you're going to do all the, the preferences better. You're going to tell better illustrations. You're going to have better stories. You're going to really have it sharpened up, and all the things will rhyme, all the points will rhyme with each other, or have the same first letter, right? Or you're, going to, you're going to have all the blanks filled out with just the right words. It's going to seem so crafty. That's not how the church is supposed to function. So Peter himself has got some stuff wrong here. He's the main dude. This is important. Of all the people, this has got to be the guy who doesn't get it wrong. So somebody else is coming in, and he's immediately kind of fearing. The gospel doesn't create fear of man. The gospel combats it. So that when we fear people, their opinions, their thoughts, what they might say to somebody else, whatever happens, we will respond. Paul responds, right? Paul is the one who doesn't back off. Paul is the one that when people are influential around him, doesn't just bow down. But Peter, at least in this circumstance, and many places he's very strong, he's a strong leader. In this circumstance, the circumcision party, he fears. And so when these people come from James, he's not quite sure what to do, except that he goes, well, I just won't ruffle any feathers. I won't cause any problems. I won't start any gossip. I'll just stop hanging out at the dinner table with the Gentiles. Essentially, what Peter does is he says, I'm not going to hang out with black folk or, or Mexicans to talk about our own culture. And listen, I have been at this church for almost nine years now, and I've heard the word Mexican used in a way that has not been helpful in conversations. And I hope that you've heard in my preaching, that's not the way we think. That's not what the gospel does. It changes how we think. We are all one in Christ if we are his, right? So, amen. <clears throat> he just said, wow, wow, to my point. Um, right? That was a word? Okay. Just making sure. Um, <clears throat> from the mouth of babes. I always want to say that, right? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Usually when I say from the mouth of babes, I'm talking about my wife. So. <clears throat> Bible, Bible. Circumcision party. So, so, so Cephas is fearing circumcision party. He starts to change. He not only changes him, but because of who he is, what does it do? It starts to change. Well, it does. It changes the message. But specifically, right before that, what does it do? Look. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas. Look at that. So, so Peter, when it starts to change him, it does change the message. It changes the gospel. And then it starts to influence all those around him. Remember, Paul talks about, um, last week we talked about the pillars, right? Those are the ones who are holding the whole thing up. If, if Paul's out preaching this gospel that he got from Jesus, but the rest of the apostles are starting to get it messed up, Paul's afraid that the stuff that he started is not going to eventually bear the fruit that it should bear. But when everybody is together and has the same gospel, then we're in a good place. So Peter starts to do it different. It's a, it's a kind of nationalism, fear of man, fear of the circumcision party. It's Christ plus something else. And then the rest of the Jews are acting hypocritically. Barnabas is led astray by it. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, you sin publicly about the gospel. It needs to be brought out. If somebody were to come here, listen, I've seen this happen. Goodness sakes. Where... Um, somebody will fill up a, a pulpit. They'll come and preach for a, a pastor. Pa pastor's gone. Somebody will come and preach, and they will just demolish the gospel. Something horrible and cheesy and just bad. And uh, the, the pastor will come back and be just like, oh, well, I know that bad thing happened, but I'll just kind of keep on. I'll just kind of pretend like it never happened. It's not what you do. I know of pastors who had a guest preacher come in, and they're sitting there in the congregation listening to the sermon too, and the sermon starts to go astray, and the gospel starts to get skewed, and the pastor gets up and asks the person to step down. I've heard those stories. Um, and that's actually 
a, a, a helpful thing to happen. It shows the church, this is not what we do. We don't just stand for it. We oppose it. When Paul saw the conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all publicly, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, that's what he, that's, if you're eating with the Gentiles, you're not doing what a Jew would do. You, you get it? He's a Jew by his birth. He's a Christian Jew. Um, and so he's a, he's a Jew by birth, but a Christian by you know, his, his faith. It's what Judaism should become. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, which is true about Peter, about Cephas, that's what he's doing, it's why he's eating with the Gentiles, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You see that? How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How are you imposing, you're going and eating their food with them, and then now you're backing away, and you're basically standing with the party by backing away and fearing them. You're basically saying, these people are coming in, and then I'll let them kind of tell the Gentiles they need to live like Jews. If you're letting them do that, if you're fearing them and not speaking against them, you're essentially aiding them in doing that to the congregation or to, the, to God's people, wherever they are. So this is, a, this is a big deal. This is a bad thing. Paul opposes them to his face. Their conduct was not in step with the gospel. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. When he says we ourselves, he's not talking about all of us who are reading this. Right? He's talking about... He's talking about him. He's talking about Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Notice even how you say Gentiles. You don't just say Gentiles. You say Gentile sinners. It's like a, it's like a phrase that you would use. In, in other words, we're, we're the one with the past with God. We're not, there's no such terminology as the Jew sinners. I mean, there may have been for the people who were Jews by birth but weren't following it or something. But that's not a, it's not a common term that we would know. It's not a scriptural term. When you say Jew, by definition, they are the obedient. They are the ones who know God. They are the ones who have the word. So we ourselves are Jews by birth. We're the good guys and not Gentile sinners, the bad guys. That's who we already are. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also... So, so, not, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because works of the law, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, here, here's what he says. Here's what he says. <clears throat> we're, we're the good guys, okay? If you're just going to look at kind of the big picture of where we are. We're the good guys. We have the history. We have the word. We're the ones that promised. Je- Jesus came as a Jew. Y- you get it? So we were the good guys, and they're the bad guys, but we know that a person's not justified by works of the law. We're the ones keeping the law, not Gentile sinners, but we know that people are not justified by keeping the law. Do you see what he's saying? We're the good guys, but the good guys aren't really good guys. We aren't good by being good. Get get this through your head. You aren't good in the eyes of God by being good. You aren't good in the eyes of God by being good. We were the ones who were good. We were the ones who had the law. We were by birth the ones who had everything of the promise of God. And not those Gentile sinners, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Justified. Declared righteous. Declared righteous. Right? To be justified is to be counted as righteous. You're, you're in front of a judge, right? You're guilty of something, but the judge declares that you're righteous. How could a judge do that? Well, if the judge just overlooks your sin and declares you righteous, then the judge is what? Think about it now. You go before the, you go before it, you listen. You go before a judge. Think of the world. You go before a judge, and you're guilty of killing people. Then the judge goes, but you know what? I forgive you. You're free. What is that judge in the world? Unrighteous. Okay, think about the world. Don't think of, don't, don't, don't. We, we, we merge all these spiritual and world categories, and, you know, we're the ones that are always saying the little furry thing with the big brown tail is, you know, not a squirrel, it's Jesus, because we always want to answer spiritually, somehow put it all together. You're trying to cheat on the pastor and find the answer. It's okay. It's all right. We all do it. But, but get it. You're before a judge, 
and you are guilty. But the judge declares you not guilty. You're counted righteous. Only what I've told you in the story, that judge is unjust. It's a bad judgment, and he's put a killer back into the world. That's what we would say, am I right? You watch court TV, right? And you look at the people, and don't, don't watch court TV. I'm not, it's not an actual recommendation. I'm just saying as an illustration. So, so you watch a, a trial on TV, the Casey Anthony trial or the OJ trial. I remember these big trials and whatever. And, and so you watch these things, and then you feel like, oh, this person's guilty, and then they go free, and what do you do? This person who, you know, you think killed their kid, this person who killed their ex-wife, and this person, and now they're free. What's going on? This is unrighteous. Now, it's not that the judge just does it on his own. He's, he, uh, there's juries, and there's all this other stuff. The point is, when you go before a judge and you are guilty, they must declare you guilty. The only way they can count you righteous is if you're righteous. The only way we can be counted as righteous is to be justified, counted as righteous, declared righteous, and the only way that can happen is if the penalty of our sin is paid. The ransom for our escape is given. That somebody else took what we deserved and gave us what we did not deserve. That somebody else did that for us. That we are... Uh, you, you, there's, a, there's a place where the earthly example and the heavenly example or the, the, the salvation example fall apart because you're not just letting a killer go. Paul was a killer and he's let go. He's declared righteous in Christ. How can you let a killer go? Well, the point is, is that his heart has changed. You can't say that about an earthly trial. We, we don't know the heart, number one. And number two, there's a lot of sinful people who stay sinful people. So apart from the the, where the, there aren't parallels, to be justified. Where, where it says here, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. When it says justified, it's saying declared righteous. This person has been declared by the judges righteous, not because they're overlooking their sin, but because someone else didn't overlook their sin. Not because the judge just overlooks their sin. God doesn't overlook your sin. He deals with it in Christ. It's a, it's a huge difference. Don't go to people and say, the gospel is, is you know all the sin you have? God's just going to look over it. He's just not going to, you're free, you're saved, everything's fine. You've got to let them know how deep their sin is, and then they need to go, oh, where do I go? What do I do? If I have all this sin, I'm guilty. Okay, now we've got you. Now you're where God wants you to be. Because once you know how guilty you really are, you're looking for a way of escape, and you know the way of escape is not me and my good works. I'm not justified by works. I'm justified by Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. We know, even though they had the law, they were the good guys, and the Gentile sinners who were doing everything wrong, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. It, they're, they're, to call them Gentile sinners is to say, they aren't following the law. We're the Jews, we're following the law. We're okay, they're not. But to say that somebody is not justified by works all of a sudden puts us on equal footing. Do you see that? It's now it's not Jew or Gentile, it's person, God, sin, condemnation without Christ. Once you know you're going to be condemned, all you have is Christ is the one who died in our place, our substitute. Once you see the substitute, you go, he, he died in my place. God, I, just, I repent of all my sins. I throw them all away. I'm not going to stand on anything else except for Christ and his righteousness. That's why we sang that song. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If we're standing on our works, you are sinking. If you stand upon Christ alone, it, by, by faith alone, but through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says, then we have justification. Then we are declared righteous because we are given what Christ deserved. Because Christ was given what we deserved. We deserved God's condemnation. Christ was condemned by God. It, it, he, Jesus says on the cross, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Why did God forsake, why did the Father forsake Jesus? Because God didn't want to forsake us. So he had to forsake his own son who didn't deserve it so that he would not have to forsake us who deserved it. We, we sang, uh, um, by the way, you know, about the, the, the thorny crown, right? The, the, um, when I survey the wondrous cross and this crown of thorns. You know where the thorns come from, right? Where do the thorns come from? What? A particular tree? No, no, no. It's not, it's not the point. Where do, where do the thorns come from? You know the story of God that we went through? Where do the thorns in the world come from? Where? Okay, you're almost there. Who promises there will be thorns? God, why? In the garden. People sin. God says there's going to be, for the man as he works, sweat, it's going to be thorns, it's going to be tough, you're going to be... You're going to be out trying to work. You're going to be cut up because all these thorny weeds are all around. Right outside of our house, that, the, you know, the creek there, and there's all these thorny bushes. But we go outside and play with the ball with the kids, and, you know, it's the, it's the famous, you know, picture. Like, the dad always throws the perfect throw, and then the kid's like, oh, I'm going to goof around, and then they throw it over my head, and we lose. There's, there's like 700 tennis balls in, in the woods next to the creek. And there's a point where you just go, you know what? I don't want to go get cut up. Because there's thorn bushes everywhere along the edge of the creek, so we just buy more tennis balls. Makes it a lot easier. Um, plus, it helps the environment. The tennis balls biodegrade, you know, over time. And it, um, yeah, so um, thorns. So in the, in, in the Bible, thorns come from God because God curses the world. The next time we see thorns in such a prominent way is when they're being put on the head of Jesus to show, to mock him as the king. It takes the curse and places it on his head. Like, wow, that's so cool. All right, back, back to this. <clears throat> so we know the Jew-Gentile thing, and who's right and who's wrong, except that we know that a person is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The law, just generally speaking, there's all the Old Testament can be considered the law. You have the specific part of the Old Testament that's considered the, the books of the law. You have the books of Moses in which God gives him the law, the first five books of, the, of Scripture, um, the Pentateuch. So you have these different places where we can go in the Old Testament and see the law the, you know, the, sort of the, the, the key idea of the law we get from the Ten Commandments where, you know, we, we have this is, these are the main things. When Jesus is asked, you know, what is your summary of the law? What does he say? Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, so when we get all these ideas of these are the things that are the law, you're not justified by works of the law. You can't be declared righteous by being righteous. That's basically what he just said. Everybody's got a, a lot of zoning out faces around. Listen, you can't be declared righteous by being righteous by the law. Because the law is not there to make you righteous. That's what you've got to get. That's the difference. Is that there are people who think the law is there to make them righteous because if I've kept it, I'm righteous. The law was never intended for that. It was intended to show you're a sinner. The law is there to show your sin. Once the law is there, I can tell you, driving around the other night, boys are done with baseball practice inside the sport city you know, complex, and we're driving home, and I realize we drove there in the light, but we're driving home at night, and I've got one working headlight. So I'm like, Everybody's, every, you know, you, you can drive for a long time with one working headlight and not realize it or whatever. I knew I only had one headlight, and I'm like, oh, i got to drive home, you know, and I just, I'm, I'm one of those people. Like, I told Pastor Joe we had one headlight, and he laughed at me for being a big baby. Like, what are you afraid? The cops are going to pull you over? They pull you over, you say, yeah, yeah I'm going to get it fixed, and then you move on. It's not going to, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm one of those people. I, like, I, when I was a kid, I mean, if I missed one little thing, I was like, oh, the teacher's going to hate me, you know. I just, I was very kind of sensitive about it, and, 
So I'm, I'm driving, and I'm telling the kids, if we get pulled over, you need to tell them that your appendix is exploding or something. <laughs> Just find, find something, you know. Be an alibi. One of you grab your side. The other one, you know, you need to, like, cut your skin and bleed a little bit to show, oh, look. Yeah, it's not quite like that, but still, you know, we, like the whole, ride, didn't, the whole ride home, we were talking about, like, oh, if we get pulled over, you know, it's just going to be, like, that's, that's all I can think about. And, and so Daniel's like, so is it better if we get pulled over or if we don't get pulled over? <laughs> the smartest kid in my family, man, the most genius brain, and it was, I was like, what is, in what way is it better if we get pulled over by, I don't understand, what, do you think he's going to give us flowers? <laughs> I mean, what is it? I didn't, I love you, Daniel, but that was a real numbskull moment, okay? I love you, all right. <laughs> so, so the law the, the whole purpose of the law is to show something's wrong y- yes you abide by it and it helps to protect us and all that stuff that's why the God gives the law but ultimately it doesn't save us it simply shows us what's wrong the person who says I keep all the law I, don't, never do, I never do anything to break the law either have a narrow view of the law or don't understand the heart of the law which is to love the Lord your God. It's to have a relationship with this God who made you. So you're not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Faith in Jesus Christ. Trust. To rely on Jesus Christ. Why would we be justified by faith in Christ and not by keeping the rules? Well, number one, because the rules are not there to be kept and then God says, okay, impossible you're going to fail okay that's number one but number two why faith in christ he did it he did the law he didn't fail he kept it all he was perfectly righteous so if we have faith in christ what you can't just have okay if somebody just goes you know what i have faith in my son I just want to go, are you dumb? What does that mean? I have faith in... It usually means I trust that they're going to do the right thing. How many times have you heard that from a person? Most people who really have faith that their kids are going to do the right thing don't have to say it. You usually say it when you don't have faith your kids are going to do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? It's always the person on TV who's going, yeah, but my neighbor was so nice. They were so... They had 18 dead people in their basement. They never showed, they were, they were nice, we'd talk over the hedge. I only saw this much of Wilson's face, but still. Um, and so, you know, it's, there, there's, there's this, look, we don't just, it's, it's not just saying I have faith in Christ, like, you know what, I just trust that he'll do the right thing. It is that Christ does the right thing and then says, have faith in me, trust in me, believe in me, call out my name. Cry out my name for salvation because it's there. There's no other name under heaven by which men and women may be saved. There's no other name. So what do we do? We, we have faith, we trust in the one who lived a perfect life, who died a death that we deserved in order to die in our place. So no, nobody else does this. Nobody else dies in your place. They might die instead of you and then you're still alive, but they haven't given you anything else other than they just you know, took the penalty and now you just still happen to be around, you're eventually still going to die. They just postponed it. Jesus dies so that when you die, you live and you never die, right? So what do we do? We say, look at what Jesus did on the cross. So we talk about the Lord's Supper. Look at what he did. His body broken, his blood shed. Why? In our place, our penalty, the condemnation of God, all we deserve, but it was put on him. So if we have faith in him, then we receive the forgiveness of God and new life, eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life. It is by faith in Christ, which means there's nothing you can do except to trust what Jesus did. There's nothing you can do to get the acceptance of God except to trust what Jesus did. That's it. That's what it says here. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ 
Okay, so you hear these words, the faith, believe in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's just, he's just making sure you get the full argument. By works of the law, no one will be justified. There's no way to be justified. There's no, justification is what we must have. It's not an extra, it's not an add-on, it's for the really good Christians. It's not like, it, that's the halo. Okay? It, it, it is not for the special group. If you aren't justified, if you aren't declared righteous by God, you are a sinner. And you are going to receive what you deserve from God when he condemns you at the judgment. So, we want to be justified. And being justified means believing in Christ. It means having faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. Even the commentators, the, the great scholars over time... They, they, you know, there are some, de- some debate over these next two verses. Um, I, I don't think it's a, a huge deal at all, but let's just look at it real quick. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a confusing. The terminology's a bit confusing. It's just, it's not, it's not worded in a way that just really makes a lot of sense to us. Um, but I would just try to explain it this way. Something like this. If someone who is justified by faith, not by works, not by what we do, think about this. It's not by what we do, it's by what Jesus did. If we're justified by what Jesus did, then we have great hope, we have what we, what we want, right? We, we've received that. But then what happens if that person still sins? You hear that, right? What happens if somebody still sins? They're justified by faith. We want it to be works. If somebody's not living right, you may not be a Christian. So we want it to be by works. But what happens? What happens when somebody's justified by faith, but then they still sin? That's the way it reads, right? But if we in our endeavor to be justified in Christ by faith... We, too, were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Oh, look, they're justified, but they're still sinning. So, the question is, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. That's what he says. Certainly not. I'm making the argument here. Okay? No. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, this is where it's really kind of like, what? If I, if I rebuild what I tore down, do I prove to be a transgressor? It's weird. It's odd. Okay? If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I think this is the idea. Justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? Rebuilding is to rebuild, and like it's, it's basically to reapply the law for someone who's justified by faith. You get it? Somebody who's justified by faith and trying to add the law to that. Isn't that exactly what's happening in Galatians? They're trying to add the law to grace, which you cannot do. It's not Jesus plus anything. So if I rebuild what I tore down, what's torn down? The system of the law, right? Jesus has fulfilled it. It's, it, it's done. We don't go back to the law. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. So if, we have, if that's been torn down, but we try to rebuild it, what are the Judaizers doing? The law is passed. But we're going to bring it back. What do you do? You prove yourself to be a transgressor. Because that's what the law does. That's the point of the law. That's what the law is going to do. It makes you a transgressor. So, the argument goes like this. If we're justified by faith, what happens if we still sin? It's not, it doesn't do anything to Christ. We don't go back and add more law. We simply have faith in Christ. Because he's the one who took care of it. We don't go looking for something else. We don't try to rebuild something in the past. It wasn't a previous way of salvation and now a new way of salvation. It was always by faith. It was always by faith. Hear me. There's this, some people don't believe this. In the Old Testament, it was by faith. In the New Testament, it's by faith. Scott, can you go take care of that, please? Thank you. So, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so I might live to God. See, it kind of makes the point it makes those confusing sentences. He sort of brings it to light here. For through the law, I died to the law. Get that. Here's the point of the law. The point of the law is that you might die to the law. God has created something in order to make you die to it. 
It's weird, isn't it? It's like an odd statement. He, he made the law so that he might die to the law. That's the idea. For through the law, I died to the law. If the law does not kill me to the law and point me to faith in Christ, if the law does not kill me to the law and point me to Christ, if we don't see our sins and that we failed, and then we turn to Christ and faith in Christ, then the law has not taken us where it's needed us to go. If, if we still are trying to keep the law, we, we haven't trusted Christ. You see how he's making the argument there? Okay. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, here's the point. If this is true, we can't be looking at the law. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm, I'm crucified in Christ. I'm dead. It's a living person who tries to keep the law to stay alive. It's a dead person who realizes it's, it's Christ. It's, it's only Christ. It's, it's all Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to that again. And now the life, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't live by works. Now this life I live in the flesh, meaning that what, my ongoing life I have in the body, when, when we still have sin around us. I don't go, because of sin around us, I need law. I say, because sin around us, I need grace. I need Christ. I, I, I need him. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer me living, it's Christ living in me, right? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If the law comes back and we say, okay, we're a church, but we're going to start adding some of these Old Testament rules on top of us. Let's start following the Old Testament. It's very in right now in the church. Listen, it's very in that the church starts to look at all these old Jewish practices. I told you about a professor of mine who left the faith and is now a, a Jew. Um, it, it's very in right now to kind of, even for Christians to go, you know what, let's look at all this. There's stuff to inform us. That's good. Let's go back and learn what the Jews, you know, what are the Jews, how do they interpret the Old Testament? Rather than just us looking back now, let's look at history and how it all worked. That's all good stuff. But if we go back and say, but you know what, the old system, like the new system is too easy. It's like we have grace and we're like, oh, we're just kind of here in Christ. If that's what it feels like and you need some law to make it better, to make it seem to work more, then you've missed the beauty of what it means. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no... It is no purpose. Why would Christ die so that you have to go back to the law? He died so that the law was finished, taken care of, so that you would be declared righteous, not reinvigorated to go and try to be righteous. This, this is really good stuff in that we get to give up. This is, I say this to people regularly. Somebody's like, oh, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that, I've got this, I've got that, I'm, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, what do I need to do, what do I need to do? And I say, give up. Give up. Oh, but I've got that, and I'm thinking about this, and I want to maybe, and here I go, and what I... Give up. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. Stop striving. Be still and know that he is God, right? Wait upon the Lord. Don't, don't go work your way into God's favor. Don't wait and go, well, you know what? Uh, I'm trying to wait for the Lord, but it's not working out for me. Where's my maidservant, Hagar? I'm, you know, I'll go have a kid with her because God promised me a kid and my wife's really old. So I'll go find Hagar and we'll make it work. You don't. You don't. Every time you try to go to the law when God has given you grace, you're basically trying to nullify what Christ has done. Christ has done it. Can we, just, can we just say it? I mean, can we just believe it? It's done. You have nothing to do. Once it's done and you are resolved, it's done. Christ has done it. Then you go and you're free. You're free. Christ has done it. Now, when you have the choice between righteousness and, and doing right and, you know, doing sin, now you go, I'm so free in Christ. Why would I, if I, if I really enjoy the freedom I have in Christ, why would I not go and live for him? You don't live for him in order to be embraced by him. You live for him because you are embraced by him, because he's with you, because he serves you all along the way, because he points the way, because he, he's helping you. And there's footprints in the sand where he carries you. No, forget that part. Sorry. I'm not a big footprints in the sand guy. Okay, Just so you know. 
If you like it, good for you. Um, now, let me just close here. Preferences. Where in this passage do we see preferences? We see it with Peter. Who am I going to eat with? What kind of people? Who's going to have influence over me? What kind of preferences am I going to take? What, what kind of food am I going to eat? Is he, you know, there's, there's times when you don't eat certain food, meat sacrificed by idols, right? The whole idea in the Bible of somebody's there and they're going to see you eating meat sacrificed to idols, which is fine to eat because it's just meat. The, the idols don't mean anything. So you can just, as a Christian that's strong, you realize that. But then there's a weaker Christian or younger Christian, they don't get it. And so you don't eat, not because you shouldn't, but because you don't want them to stumble. You don't want them to fall. And so there's, there's that kind of thing going on. But the preferences, the idea that we are going to make something else other than Christ the thing. Oh, no, no, no. Christ is the thing, but he's 99.9%. This is just 0.1%. That's too much. It's 100% Jesus or it's nothing. Um, I, I, uh, I can't remember the quote now exactly um, from Tim Keller on this passage but it's something like this. Either Christ does everything or he does nothing for you. For you. It's either Christ does everything or he does nothing. There is no mostly Christ. There is no, well, he got it started. There is no, well, he got me saved and now, the, now I start works in order to be accepted. It is Christ does everything or it's nothing. And shouldn't that, it shouldn't make us go live sinfully, that should make us go live free, loving. It just can't wait to tell more people about this. I mean, do you have people around you who are struggling and who are suffering and who are going through all kinds of stuff and at work and at school and at whatever, and they're going through so much, and what are you doing? Giving them advice? Giving them a hug? Or are you saying, be set free, completely set free? You know how bad you are? And you know how bad you are because you've been talking about it lately? You ever gone to that person and been like, I've got something that's going to show you exactly how bad you are, but it's all taken care of. It's all taken care of. Somebody's paid the entire debt, paid it all. If we don't get that's the gospel, we're going to give people something else, and we're going to hold them in slavery. We're going to hold ourselves, and some of you are in slavery right now. Let's be honest. Some of you are in slavery. You're, you're, you've got a works mindset, um, between my wife and I, she knows that she's the, the, the legalist. She's the one that she, she never feels okay with certain things. Like, she has to continually preach the gospel to herself. That's just part of her struggle. For me, sometimes it's just, you know, it's too easy. It's like, oh, God's grace, you know, so I'll just kind of go and be all right with whatever. God's grace. We just, that's our personality. That's the way we sort of approach it. And, you know, it comes from our background and other stuff, but there are people in this room right now who are really struggling because you have the law and the law, not the Old Testament law necessarily, but whatever you consider is right and wrong, you are holding that as the thing that's going to make you acceptable to God. And you know I've said this many times and you're kind of brushing it over, but, but just stop. If you are one of those people and just feel like, man, God's not accepting, God doesn't, God, and you, it's all negative, it's all down, please, today, be crucified with Christ and realize it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Wouldn't that be cool? It's just Christ living in me from now on. And I throw myself in there every so often because I like to sin and then I go to God and I say, yeah, this, is what I, this is who I am. You know who I am, but I just trust in Christ. I just trust in, I'm not going to go work harder and make it okay again. I'm going to trust in Christ. And then all my works are just the fruitfulness that comes from that faith. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Father, you have set us free. If we know Christ, if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, you have set us free. And we can even see guys like Peter get this wrong. And so it's okay. It's not, it's not okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad, but, but we know that it can happen. We know that we're sinners, and we know that we need to trust in Christ. And so in, in that sense, it's okay that we just realize this is what sinners are going to go through. And when we go through it, we need to have somebody oppose us to the face and say, what are you doing? Why are we thinking this way about race? 
Why are we thinking this way about gender? Why are we thinking this way about somebody else with less money or more money or, or whatever? Why are we looking at all these preferences that we have? Why are we saying that we have to have a certain type of worship song only? Why are we saying we should only have certain type of instruments playing? Why are we saying we should only have certain type of clothing? Why are all these things getting such prominence in our lives? It's because of our sin. It's because of our lack of understanding of what Christ has done. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. It means that because we're saved, when we hear this word, we turn and we go, yes, this is good. Let me take away all these preferences and point to Christ alone. But God be glorified that in this congregation today, these people are seeking to stop being for ourselves, working on ourselves for the sake of your acceptance, but that we trust in Christ and Christ alone. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.